Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. We are working on Introvert's Real Estate Success Plan. Today is day three, the final day. So we're going to be giving you, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, six points. And I think um, I know the let's see point number 12 that we're going to be sharing with you today is one of my favorite ones when I'm helping introverts be more extroverted. But before we get to our first point, I want to thank all of you who have been giving us five-star reviews on iTunes and Spotify. Um, we received some really fantastic ones the past few days. If you've not yet done that, please do do that. Uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and on Spotify. And everyone who does so is going to qualify to uh, receive a copy, a signed copy, an autographed copy of our best-selling book called Harris Rules. Yes, you're more than welcome to purchase Harris Rules. It's available everywhere, including Barnes & Noble and obviously Amazon. Um, for 20 bucks, or you can just give us a five-star review, which takes you about two seconds and costs you no um, no money whatsoever, and I'll be happy to enter you into the contest. I have a feeling this contest, everyone's going to be a winner. (laughs) It could be. So, good moving. I just have a feeling. So, yes, please do so. Thank you for all of you uh, who have done that so far, and thank you always, uh, again, to all of our loyal podcast listeners, all of our loyal coaching clients. Uh, dare I say fans, mm-hmm. that word makes me uncomfortable, but thank you very much for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the United States. All right, before we get to point number 10, remember, listen to the uh, the previous nine points on the previous two shows, also titled the same thing, Introverts Real Estate Success Plan. Um, we have obviously been dealing with a lot of change that's uh, affecting the economy. And these are all changes that Julie and I, if you listen to our podcast, have been preparing you for um, for years, literal yes. years. And in earnest, I think, in really the last two years, because that's when we uh, started noticing the amount of change happening at a, a quickening pace because of, frankly, because of COVID. And then when we saw the government uh, print, you know, quote unquote, trillions of dollars, we knew that there was going to be some kind of negative ramification in the long run. And that's what we're experiencing now with inflation. So um, what we're going to be sharing with you guys today before we get to, again, point number 10, are some of the things that Julie and I have been noticing. Now, if you will remember, a couple of weeks ago, Julie and I asked, um, offered uh, Julie's personal coaching. And the reason was is because we wanted to, Julie had a handful of clients that she's had forever, and she wanted to pick up another, say, five or six. I ended up, she picked up like, I think, eight or 10 uh, personal clients because we wanted to really make sure we had our finger on the pulse of the market around the country. And so we were selectively looking for agents that were, you know, fit some criteria, but the biggest ones being where we didn't have overlapping uh, markets. In other words, we didn't want like five agents in Beverly Hills or whatever. Um, well, I mean, we wouldn't have minded, but for the sake of what <laughs> this experience, okay, just yeah. don't, don't, you know, misconstrue what I'm saying. Because Julie and I don't do a lot of personal coaching anymore. We have uh, staff coaches that coach for us. We have a coaching business, the whole thing. But Julie uh, wanted to get back into personal coaching at a limited ex- to a limited extent so that she could get right back into the groove of things because we saw things were changing. And agents always are the best sources of information about re- really what's happening in the housing market because you guys are you know frontline deployed. You will know um, sometimes two or three months before the rest of the world knows what's truly happening in housing. 
So Julie and I were sitting yesterday debriefing at the end of the day, as we're apt to do, and she was rattling off some of the things that she said uh, or that she observed. I'm, I'm teeing her up here. But mm-hmm. the, she started out the conversation saying that she thought uh, yesterday, early this week, was going to mark the 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 uh, sea change or going to mark the end point to the old market and the start point to the new market because of the things that she was hearing from especially her more experienced coaching clients. All right, so Julie, I teed you up. What types of things yes. were you hearing? Well, and I probably will be making a podcast about much of this just to drill down further, but this is from the front lines this week. And I would the, the first thing that I noticed, because as you know, my primary goal as a coach is to help my coaching clients move forward with what they're dealing with and to take them to the next level faster than they can do on their own. So that's mm-hmm. my primary directive. Because of the market, really. Especially because of the market. But that said, while I'm talking to them, I'm also jotting down different notes about what they're saying to me so that I can connect the dots and see if something is going on at large. Because, you know, like this week I had varied calls anywhere from Chicago to the Ozarks to Florida to Alaska to (laughs) uh, Montana, two clients in Wisconsin. You know, it's pretty much everywhere, right? The middle of the country, both coasts and beyond. We even have a client in Guam. So, um, here's the thing that sh- maybe almost shocked me in a way. I had literally five calls, five out of six. And the only reason the six wasn't like this is because it was a newer agent. But my other five were very experienced agents who have listing inventory, who are doing deals. They have five to 10 pendings a piece. Okay. So they're in it. Every single one of them wanted to talk about price reductions. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting because it has been a long time since I had a string of coaching calls from different parts of the country that all had similar themes, which was price reductions. And those price reductions range from 10,000 to about 100,000. So let's set this up. Um, we've been coaching for, I always have to remind myself, we have tens of thousands of listeners and not all of them have been listening to us for years. Right. But Julie and I have been, uh, you know, been in the real estate industry for th- over 30 years. And we have, we bought our first house and did our first transaction in our early 20s. Right now we're a little older than that. A little. <laughs> <laughs> and the um, we've been through many downturns, but we've been in a coaching business. We've been through really three, arguably four downturns. And what you're describing, and this is what we talked about yesterday, was what happened in um, it was really 2006, late yes. 2006, mm-hmm. and late 2006. And I don't remember actually what month it was. I remember having this is when I was doing a lot of coaching. Uh, I was had a string of calls where the agents were all telling me about their deals falling apart because the buyers couldn't get financing. Yes. And it was the first subprime lender that failed, mm-hmm. which was called, I think, New Century, and they mm-hmm. were in Irvine. Yep. Um, some I remember, you... I want to say it was June or July, because you and I, again, were comparing notes, and it was about the same week your clients and my clients were experiencing similar changes. And the, But prior to that, what we noticed, again, the advantage of being a coach uh, the advantage of being a coach at our scale is that we had clients in all these different markets. We also have listeners in 61 different countries. Uh, but what we noticed was in certain key markets, and Julie and I will watch, and we still do, key bellwether markets, though it's changed as a result of COVID, really, because mm-hmm. people have spread out and they're no longer so you know focused on just cities. Anyway, the market inventory, the homes available for sale, this is prior to the real, real estate crash You know, now 14, 15 years ago well, economic crash really, is the inventory would shoot up, then would sell off, then it would shoot up, then it would sell off, and then it shot up, and then it didn't sell off. Now, I may have missed an up and a down cycle with my explanation, but all that happened within a relatively short period of time, less than a year for sure. And we saw that happening in, again, parts of California that we were really monitoring at the time. 
We are monitoring Las Vegas. We are monitoring certain markets in Southern California. We are monitoring certain markets in the East Coast. Again, none of these markets should really have had that much direct influence on, on the other. But all of a sudden, they all started following basically the same pattern. And so what we look for and what we've always looked for is we've looked for those national patterns. Your local pattern might be different. Your local market might be different. But what Julie's describing is a national phenomenon. Yes, but here's a very specific difference, lest you think this time is just like that time, because it is not. Are we talking about distress now? We're talking about a change in the market, okay. right? So back then, it was largely caused by the distressed uh, mortgages right. failing. We don't have hardly any of that right now. So don't convince yourself that that's happening. Let's just fire hose them with why it's not going to happen. Okay. So there's a lot of people out there that are starting to beat on the drum of distressed real estate, and they're saying this time's going to be like last time. The problem is, is they're well-intentioned for the most part, but they really haven't thought about things in, in context to really what's happened in the past 15 years. So I'm just going to give you the bullets, and we've drilled down on this in the past podcast, but I know a lot of you are listening and you're getting nervous. Well, let me just basically get to the punchline. Don't get nervous because the greatest fortunes of humanity have always been made during the greatest times of change. And what Julie, when she gets back to telling you about our coaching clients, which is what you're going to be hearing, is our coaching clients are celebrating this changing market yes. because of the fact that they have the skills sets and they know how to do things the other agents don't know how to do. 98% of probably all the agents out there in the business right now have only been in business during the last 14 years. So they don't have either the coaching and training or the experience to know how to compete in this market, let alone thrive. So the punchline is the strong agents are going to not just survive, they're going to build market share. Um, but here's really the fire hose as to why there's not going to be a housing crash. And you guys can research all this on your own, but we've, I think, pretty these thoughts are well considered. Number one, the number of adjustable rate mortgages in the country is less than 10%. So there it is. That's the really the big one. Everyone's saying, well, the adjusted adjustable rate mortgage, even our friend Peter Schiff says this all the time on his podcast. Uh, Peter, it's something like 8% of all mortgages out there that were uh, originated up till say 90 days ago were not adjustable rate. They're a 30-year fix. And most of the 30-year fixed mortgages out there are going to be less than 3.5%. Most of the houses out there, since the people have obtained the mortgages, have um, doubled, in some cases, tripled in value. There's record amount of home equity right now. See, I'm firehosing you guys. You can research these on your own or just listen to our past podcasts. We've done specific podcasts on why there will not be a housing crash. Um, there's a record number of housing equity. Uh, I think it's something like $27 trillion or something incredible like that. So people, and here's the real big reason why. After COVID, you'll all remember that there was this new, frankly, we thought it was very well considered, albeit not, you know, uh, in alignment with tr a traditional uh, capitalism or, you know, free markets or any of the rest of it. So just, you know, don't con uh, conflate what we're saying here because we realize there's unintended consequences of what we're about to say that are on the negative. But on the positive, when COVID hit, one of the first things the government did was basically order the servicers, who are all the big banks who's you know are collecting your house payments, to allow people to do forbearances for extended periods of time. I know there was a little confusion about that when those first came out, and you know Julie and I were telling you on the podcast what the rules were, and hopefully you actually listened to what we said, and then you didn't have to make a house payment for 12 months, in some cases longer, and uh, there was no uh, hit to your credit and all the unpaid. Uh, payments with no added uh, penalties were put on the back of your mortgage. In other words, you were able to stay in your house payment free. Now, why did the government do that? And the that was, and, and again, in our opinion, especially for the sake of our industry, that was a brilliant move. Well, it's because when the housing market crashed in arguably September of 2007 or somewhere in there, and then people started talking about it in really 2008, that's really what the delay was. 
you will see uh, what happened was the housing market was starting to figure out what the hell is going to happen. Short sales, REOs, distressed, asset managers, all this sort of, you know, all these um, shadow industries kind of came out and were ready to pick up the pieces. There were, there were pieces to pick up, but for a very, very short period of time. And then the government intervened and the government basically said, we're going to, you know, there's not going to be a big mass of foreclosures. And as a result of that, guess what happened? There were loan mods, there were loan workouts, there were all these different programs that got put in place that put an end to all the distressed um, relatively quick. There were some people that were able to get uh, bank, like Bank of America and all these other great accounts from HUD and Fannie. But what's going to happen this time, in our opinion, first of all, there's not going to be a bunch of distressed real estate. Second of all, there's not going to be a big dropping in prices. But third, even if you in your regional area, and let's say this, uh, we do, t it, it does become a recession. And let's say there is a lot of unemployment in your particular market for whatever particular reason. In our opinion, what's going to happen is the government is just going to put all the houses into some sort of mortgage forbearance, and there will not be any big waves of foreclosures. And that's, in our opinion, what's going to happen. Now, the real wild card to all of this, and the really the big thing that's different now than what was different before, is the effects of inflation. Inflation is going to, it's obviously double digits now. This is the most severe inflation that the United States has ever experienced. Research it yourself. We've done a lot of podcasts on this. The real inflation rate, uh, if you want to know what it is, here, I'll simplify it for you. Don't worry about what the government's telling you. How much has your gas price gone up in the past 12 months? How much has your food price has gone up in the last 12 months? How much of your real estate price has gone up in the last 12 months? In most cases, if not all cases, it's double digits. Well, that's what your damn inflation rate is, okay? That's what, you are, that's what your personal inflation rate is. If your grocery bill, I read that, or, uh, that the average American's budget for food, I think it was, has gone up like by $300 per month. Yep. Well, I don't know what it was before, but I bet you if you were actually put pen to paper, that means that you're spending at least 20% more on food than you were, say, 30 days ago or 60 days ago. That means your inflation rate's 20%. Don't be confused about, about all this politicized economic mumbo jumbo. That's really how you need to think of it. And housing prices in the last 12 months have gone up by at least 25%. If you're um, you're celebrating on the seller on the owner side of things, but if you're a first-time buyer you know, or what have you, and you know 12 months ago you were you know hoping and praying that the prices were going to level off or fall, well now you're really hurting because you should have obviously purchased a year ago because now the house you could have bought has gone up by 25%. The prices aren't going to fall. And what we're really predicting, and I think it's quite obvious is that there are a lot of people that would have moved up that won't that won't move up because of the fact that they don't frankly their interest rate right now is so low that the the payment shock would be too significant now that'll psychologically work itself out and maybe the houses will continue to appreciate so they can put more money down but a lot of would be move up uh, sellers you know becoming buyers they're going to probably change their minds now, over the next three to five years, this is a long-term trend. It's going to continue to be a seller's market. There's not going to be a precipitous drop in pricing. These overall trends are going to continue. But over the next three to five years, what's going to happen is the resale homes or the used homes are going to increase in value, albeit, you know, hopefully the inflation or the appreciation, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't continue to be runaway because then it's bad for everything. But let's say it goes next year at 6% or 8%, then 4% the following year. You guys get the point of it? What will eventually happen is the cost of construction will fall. The cost of the resale homes will be of increased to the point where the parity, the price difference between a new home and a used home, 
isn't so significant like it is now. And then the new construct, the new home uh, manufacturers can start becoming more competitive, and then they start spitting out a lot of new houses. Hopefully, that was a fire hose version, like I said. But hopefully, yeah. that makes sense to some of you. If not, listen to our past podcast. Well, the only thing that I would add there, with regards to the last go around with the distressed coming unglued. Less than 1% of mortgages are in pre-foreclosure or foreclosure currently, and that's largely due to the fact that as a result of the housing crash, things were actually regulated again. The loans that exist now do not look a thing like the loans that happened then. People have historically high credit, historically big down payments. They have solid jobs. These are not high-risk loans. No. So that's that's a major difference. And, of course, people have equity. And when people have equity and low interest rates in their mortgage, they don't tend to bail on the house. Well, if you call if you called during the start of the housing crash, if you were to call your bank and say, I can't make my house payment, I, I don't know what to do, they're probably going to allow you – this is back in, before there were regulations and rules put in place. They had to follow whatever the bank's regulations were, but also the state's regulations. So in California, that means you maybe could have gotten away with not making a payment for a month. But then on the second month, they're going to file a notice of default. And by the third month, the foreclosure proceedings are going to start. And this was before uh, the Obama administration and all these other you know rules and regulations got kicked into place. About a year after the whole thing started, none of that regulation, none of those laws were put in place. Do you guys remember during COVID when they came out and said landlords can't evict? Well, the similar things, I always have to remind myself that not a lot of you have been in the business for very long. The same thing is going to happen again. So despite the fact that there's a lot of people that want you to believe that there's going to be a whole bunch of distressed real estate coming, it just doesn't It doesn't intellectually make sense, but it doesn't make sense based on the history over the past 14 years saying how the government's going to intervene. If you want to know how the government's going to act, you want to know how things are going to happen, look to see what's happened post-COVID. That is the new playbook for essentially what's going to happen in housing if there's any kind of precipitous problems in any particular markets, but there won't be. Nope. Um, so the moral of the story here is, is all this fear, all these headwinds, these emotional um, anchors that are going to hold people to the shore, that's going to have a, obviously an adverse effect on the market, but you cannot allow it to have an adverse effect on your personal economy or your personal market, as in what goes on between your, your ears, because there will still be millions and millions of people that have to transact. Millions and millions of people that want to buy or sell real estate, and they're doing it for traditional uh, reasons. They do, a lot of them have tons of equity if they're moving up. They have, need a bigger house because you know they now have more kids. They need a smaller house. They inherited a house. There's all these absolute positively must-sell seller um, you know, things that are out there. They're always out there. You just need to get in alignment with what this new market has to offer. The old market was about a lot of fluff. The old market was a lot about... A lot of, uh, you know, I mean, just think about it, guys. It was a lot of sexy this. And I was looking at the realtor hashtag on Instagram. You guys should look at that. I assume this hashtag is, is controlled by the National Association of Realtors. It looks like, I would say, an Italian fashion magazine. <laughs> Honestly, right. scantily clad uh, young humans. <laughs> you know, and yeah. very, and very, you know, high fashion looking. And well, okay, that's fine. But that's the market that was. And the new market that is is like what Julie's about to describe. Yes. And so here's the thing a changing market to all of you guys that have been licensed. It's not just less than 14 years. Some of these guys have been less than five years, less than 12 months, right? Like, like not even licensed like yet. Like yesterday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So a changing market does not mean housing Armageddon. Here's what it looks like. And this is, again, fresh off of a string of coaching calls. Yes, houses are still selling, but it doesn't take two seconds. It might take two weeks. It might take two months. It's still selling. They're not selling with 15 offers. 
they're selling with one to five offers. So you have to learn price changes. Absolutely. And you and I talked yesterday also about how you're really going to have to know you're going to have to be smarter than your loan officer for damn sure. Definitely. And you're going to have to know more mortgage products than the loan officer knows. We're going to do podcasts on that. I know. And you're going to have to know how to do all kinds of creative financing using yes. the seller's equity. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to know how to do assumable mortgages, even though I was surprised when you said that. You were right. There There's are assumable around. mortgages out yep. there. You're going to have to learn how to do all kinds of different things to get deals together. And, and, it and remi- deal saving, too. And it reminded me when we bought our second house. Yes. And it, this was back when, uh, like, our interest rate on our first house was 7%, I think. Mm-hmm. And then we wanted to buy this next place because we needed more space because our first place was 732 square feet or something. <laughs> yes. And then our next place was, like, this palace that was 2,500 square feet. It was awesome. Now, granted, yeah. it was all vertical. It was this weird <laughs> condo. but I know. Um, anyway, so the uh, – um, this condo in particular had been on the market for a while. It was great for us, home office, office, you know. And um, but it was uh, we didn't have the money. And, no, we and, we wanted to do an eighty ten ten mortgage, which these guys have probably never heard of. We'll right. do that in a podcast. Uh, so we had ten percent down, but we borrowed ten percent as a second from the. But let's yeah. be clear, we didn't yeah. know how to do it. No, the listing agent. We needed help. The listing agent, Alan. What was his last name? He was great. I know. Remax agent in Clintonville. Yeah. Yeah. He was very experienced. Jones, I think. Alan Alan Jones, yeah. Yeah. He was very experienced. Very. He'd been selling real estate since the 70s. Mm -hmm. So he absolutely, he wore calluses from the past crappy markets. I hope hope his markets, his business is still fantastic. He was a really good realtor. He he sold when interest rates were 17%. Right. So he was able, we wanted to buy this condo. He wanted to sell it. The seller wanted to sell it. The seller had inherited it. And so he knew how to do it, what was an 80-10-10. So Tim and Julie put down 10%. The seller held a 10% second mortgage. He had a lender that, it was Huntington, Mm -hmm. that was more than happy to do the loan. And then we were off to the races. But he put that together as the listing agent. And that whole year, that was the start of, like, frankly, two or three years where we're having to do a lot of creative deals. Julie and I would walk into sellers' houses and uh, maybe we were competing against their center of influence agent and whatever. And none of those agents knew how to put deals together because Julie and I really researched how to do creative deals and make things work for all parties. It was incredible. There, and there are so many different types of creative deals. You know, we had gift money deals. We had second mortgages from the seller. We had owner financing. We had all sorts of things which most of you have either never heard of or never actually had to do. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be every deal you do, but you're going to see a much wider variety of types of transactions that you're going to have to get a skill level with or you're going to do fewer transactions. That's just the fact. And I know this because my experienced agents and brokers have already said that they are having the less experienced agents freak out and call them and say, you know, all my you know first-time buyers went away, so I don't have them to work with. I don't know what to do. I, I'm having a hard time lead generating. I don't understand this market. Things are changing. What do I do? You Was it you that told me or somebody else that they had a call from a, maybe it was one of our coaches, mm-hmm. who had a call from a client who was working as part of a big team in L.A. or something. And the big team in L.A. now was expecting, uh, was asking for all the team members to start allowing the team lead to have full access to their CRM so they could actually see how frequently they've been doing follow-ups. Right. Was that you? That was, there are several versions of that, but yes, that was one of my calls. And so what was probably happening is that that team leader was planning on getting rid of their team or downsizing their team, and they were going into all these agents' CRMs, which frankly they should have had access to in the first place. Yep. And they were seeing which of the, uh, who were the active clients based on, 
you know, the levels of communication. And Mike and Julie and I's guess was that team leader was going to take those leads back and get rid of all those agents because of the fact that they were worried about their own economy. That's see what happens is in a market like what we're leaving. So many of you, especially teams and brokers, you've gotten so focused on more units and more dollar volume and you haven't been paying attention to the net, uh, your net income. And it was always about, did you sell more houses? You got to add five more agents and you're going to sell more houses and sell more houses and sell more houses. But what you, the two things you haven't been paying attention to, not, not as acutely as you should have anyway, you've been feeling it, I'm sure, is your net income has not been increasing, but also your um, cost of doing your business has gone through the roof. The quality of the buyer leads that you've been producing, that you've been paying uh, increasing fees for, the quality of the buyer leads, the motivation, the ability to purchase, let's just be careful with the word quality, has on, been on the decline. So you've been adding overhead, adding staff, adding things that require money. You've been, um, and at the same time, your ability to monetize those leads has been decreasing and your own personal net income has been decreasing as well. Lots of research has been done on this. The average brokerage makes less than 3% net. The average team, you know, you could argue between 10 and 15%, but most of the ones we've seen where they come to us and they want us to help them become profitable are below 10%. Uh, this is net income. So really what we're going to see, and we've seen this before, is the end of those type of, of uh, business models that are not focused on net income. So in a time like this, what you've got to do is you've got to pull things in, you've got to make everything perform. An individual has to perform, an idea has to perform. If you cannot directly draw a line between effort and results, you do not do it. That is called a luxury expenditure or what we lovingly call a waste of time. So do not do waste of time things when the market is changing in a decisive way like it is right now. You have to only do the activities that lead directly to a transaction, which means the more direct communication you have, the more proactive communication you have, the more money you're going to make. Uh, the less you spend worrying about all these uh, things that uh, branding and you know funnels and all the rest of this stuff, the less time you spend worrying about generating buyer leads, the more money you're going to make if you focus back in on the people that actually have to sell their houses. You will learn this from uh, a lot of trial and error, or you can just accept what I said is true and save yourself possibly failing out of the business. That's the nature of the market that we're going to be into. You're already feeling it, I'm sure. And again, if you have your head screwed on straight, if you either have proper coaching and training so you know what to do, you're excited about this market, or you've got the experience and you know what not to do because you probably learned from, you know, pain from the last go around, you are also excited about what you're about to experience because you know what it takes to go through a market like this and what it takes to build your business in a market like this. By the way, for those of you who are ready to move forward and become Premier Coaching Clients, just text the word Premier, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, Premier, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, to 47372, and we'll take you. that'll take you directly to the page within our website where you can become a Premier Coaching member. Premier Coaching, you get a daily semi-private coaching call with one of our new member coaches, and depending on how you join, it's only around $100 a month. And it's our complete system. It's for buyer, it's the buyer agent system, the listing agent system. It's every single price of, uh, change script. Every single thing that you need to build your business because of this market is included in Premier Coaching. We hold nothing back. So text the word Premier to 47372. And again, yes, this does include a daily semi-private coaching call with one, of, um, with one of our great coaches. How are you going to feel in this market knowing that you're attached to something that is absolutely positively 
going to help you build your business because of this market. Stop feeling fearful. Stop feeling consternation. Stop feeling doubt. Start being excited. And the best way for you to do that is get right back on the right course. So text the word PREMIER to 47372. And remember, message and data rates may apply. All right, Julie, let's get to these next points. And we're looking forward to that podcast that you're going to write. <laughs> yes, thank you. No pressure. Uh, no pressure. All right, point number 10. I'll read the first point and you can read the meat of it. Okay? Again, we're, we're doing part three of 15 points that will transform your business and personal life specifically for our introverted listeners and friends. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, this is point number 10. You can listen to the first nine points in the two previous shows. Befriend, this is Julie's hack, by the way, <laughs> befriend a total extrovert. Take them with you to social situations to help you get out and expand your center of influence. They will do all the work for you, and they know tons of people you probably don't know. They're great connectors. This works brilliantly with the right person. They'll understand you and help you with meeting and greeting so you feel more confident. Use your Ford script. That's family, occupation, recreation, dreams that we talk about all the time on the podcast. But use your Ford script with the new people that you're meeting. So being friends with somebody who is already exactly like this naturally is a huge advantage, both socially, business-wise, personality-wise. It's a good thing. And what does that mean? It means in the literal sense, be somebody who's a big extrovert's wingman. Yes. <laughs> That's really what it is. And then when you go to parties or social interactions where you might not feel comfortable, you can have them break the ice for you and they'll do it continuously. Um, extrovert, I'm sorry, introverts are going to have a tendency to want to lock into one or two different people. Depending on the social environment, that might just be fine. But for the most part, you as a real estate practitioner, your job is to help people and your job is to meet as many new people as possible. And so you're going to want to you know, spend a little bit of time, get to know them. We gave, uh, listened to previous two podcasts on how to do that so that you're not having to feel painful having mm -hmm. conversations with strangers. And then obviously you want to make more contacts with more people. Don't just go to one social event and only talk to one person. Go to a social event and challenge yourself to talk to five or six different people every single time you go. Get their contact information. That's how you expand your centers of influence and past clients. Point number 11. Point number 11. This is a mindset point. Understand that you are not actually a freak. Okay. So many successful agents are introverts. You might be surprised when you meet them to see what they're really like. Listen to our previous interviews with many of them. They're usually the secretly successful types because they're not constantly on social media bragging about their awards. I have coaching clients tell me all the time that are super successful, sort of versatile introvert types. They're like, don't tell anybody what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> totally. or, or don't share my pre-listing package or, you know, they, they don't want it splashed all over the world. That's why you don't always know who they are. Well, I'll so. say this as well, too. Um, and this is a good point. We haven't mentioned this in two shows. You don't have to be a specific personality type. Now we're talking about DISC again. Yeah. You don't have to be a person have a specific personality type to be successful in business and life. What you ultimately want to do, and this show is about introverts, not about personality types. I'll give you a, a link to take a personality test here in a second. But if you, you can be successful no matter what your dominant and really not dominant personality types are. Don't let anybody brainwash you into thinking. And this happens all the time. I've seen this. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard this. It pains me to listen to people tell other people that their probability of being successful because they're not natural extroverts is lower. That is such bullshit. You've got to be really, you have to realize, here's a little pseudoscience. Pseudoscience is a nice way of saying fake science. So anytime you're taking a self-administered test, it by its very nature is pseudoscience. So a DISC personality test, that means that you can actually 
answer the questions in such a way that the results will vary. It does not matter how long the test is, how manipulative the questions are. At the end of the day, any self-administered test is going to be not, it's going to be pseudoscience. Full stop. Just remember that. With that said, if you do want to have a personality test assessment done, um, and this is free, this is not, this is a site that Ray Dalio created. And I, Julie and I went through it. It was very well done. So much so, we're just going to give you the link to it. Just text the word you, Y O U, to 47372. Text the word you, Y O U, to 47372. Um, and it'll obviously you have to click the link and say yes. And then we'll send you the link and you go take the, the uh, personality assessment. Uh, at last time we checked, Ray does not charge anything for this. Uh, it works great. He's done. He's spent a lot of time trying to drill down on, um, I think, higher level of feedback and information, more so than just your standardized DISC test. Again, very well done. The website itself is great. Text the word you, Y-O-U, to 47372 and take your uh, personality assessment right on your phone. 99% of you are listening to us on your uh, mobile devices. So that would be a great thing for you to do. And remember, message and data rates may apply. Point number 14, 12. right? Oh, Point 12. Number 12. Oh, sorry. It's okay. Center yourself for 10 or 15 minutes prior to all appointments. Use a meditation you like or listen to a favorite uh, playlist to boost your energy. Sit in your car before buyer and seller appointments and just breathe. Say your pre-listing prayer if that helps. We did a podcast about that. It's also mm -hmm. in the Harris Rule, Rules book or in previous podcasts. So yes, take a breath before you send yourself into those appointments. I think it's very valuable to just center yourself. Think about what you're doing. Think about what your goals are. Review your notes on the client and just have your head screwed on straight. If you're somebody who has to game yourself or you're learning to become more high energy, uh, one of the things you can do is uh, this Well, frankly, have energy drinks. Yeah, I and, knew you were going to say that. Yeah, well, the Celsius energy drinks is, yeah. you know, that's pretty good. What's How do you spell it? C-E-L-S-I-U-S. -S. We get them at Costco, but I think they're at most grocery stores. They're, they do have caffeine, but they also have B vitamins. And B12. They taste pretty good. You can get uh, carbonated or not, and they're good flavors. And there's, no, there's not a lot of crap in them either, so they're not necessarily, you know, the worst thing. It's not like a Diet Coke, for example. Right. But you should, if you're somebody who has naturally lower energy, what would be a suggestion is, is that you, you know, you dope yourself a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> you take what, and you put it in the Celsius thing, you can put it in a little, um, you know, dark colored water thing. And it's become, I think, a normal part of society that people walk around with water containers. So and you can take that with you and you can just keep your energy level higher yeah. while you're on the podcast, while you're on the podcast, <laughs> because we do it, while you're at a listing appointment. And by the way, we did it when we were on listing appointments too. That way you can keep yourself uh, humming at that higher frequency and you don't have an energy drop off. But again, this is all my mind is now going to you going on a listing appointment without following our seven step listing process. So please absolutely positively do not uh, wing it. Uh, follow our seven step listing process, analytical types, introverted types. You know that's what you want to do anyway. So our process includes every, you know, obviously proactive lead, uh, proactive setting of the appointment, proactive lead generation, pre-qualifying, all the process. If you, if you skip any of the steps, chances are you will not be successful. A good listing is worth too much money to wing it. So please take this seriously. Know how to actually get the listing. Don't just assume your personality is going to win the day. Even if you have the best personality ever, in a changing market like this, remember this, listeners, 
Every single seller, even your mama, is going to become more selective in who they list their house with. Those of you who have been getting listings based on your personality, based on you know who you know, those are the types of agents that are the slowest to realize that their skill set is not really existent, that they've just basically been basing their ability to do business on their relationships. In a market like this, even if people know and love you, they're still not going to hire you if they're not confident you know how to get the job done. That's the reason skills-based agents in markets like this dominate. Point number 13, Julie. Point number 13, identify someone you admire and adopt and adapt the traits that they have that you wish to add to your own personality. This is not really just for introverts, by the way. I love my personal list, uh, Audrey Hepburn, Helen Mirren, Audrey Tateau, she's a uh, French actress. Create your own favorites list to emulate. I have had uh, guy clients do this as well, especially younger men who look like they're 12 still, like when you got into real estate. And they, they identify an actor that they like, how they dress, how they speak, how they carry themselves. Have somebody that you're you're kind of looking up to and emulating their personality. It's the mar- it's the concept that um, they talk about. Rich, I think and grow rich. Napoleon Hill's mm-hmm. book of having your own mastermind. The mastermind doesn't have to be people you talk to. The mastermind can be people that you go. Maybe you've read a great book about whoever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go in your mind and ask that person for advice. I know it sounds a little pseudoscience. And I suppose it is, but still, it's pretty cool. Great book to read to listen to. Um, after you've listened to Harris Rules, obviously, it's Think and Grow Rich. And by the way, Think and Grow Rich, it's in the public domain, so most of you should be able to get it for free. Uh, yeah, so if you're trying to think, what do I want to look like physically? You pick a role model. How do I want to dress? What do I want to look like? How do I want to present myself? Pick a role model. How do I want to look when I'm you know, five years older? Pick a role model. Start visualizing who you want to be, how you want to look based on people you admire. It makes total sense. And what you're doing is you're giving yourself something to copy, emulate, but also you're giving your mind, you're, you're changing your mindset so you're not leaving anything to chance. You know, that's, I think, a great way of, Julie yeah. and I do that when we're working out too. I'm, we're both, our joke is we're both going to be competing for the next uh, James Bond. And so, <laughs> right. and so Julie's going to try to be the first the female Bond James Bond and I'm going to try to replace Daniel Craig. Exactly. All right. So point number 14, upgrade everything immediately. Audrey Hepburn once spoke about how she dressed for the roles she played so she could better play those uh, characters that she was asked to portray. Here's a great quote from her. And I really think that this quote sounds like an affirmation that she used. She said, quote, I believe in uh, manicures. I believe in overdressing. I believe in primping at leisure and wearing lipstick. I believe in pink. I believe happy girls are the prettiest girls. I believe that tomorrow is another day and I believe in miracles. What a bunch of positive stuff, right? So upgrade everything immediately. There is a whole chapter in the Harris Rules book about that where I show you some ideas and how to have fun with that. You but know what's I, funny I, about that though? What? How many people out there that are being hyper-politically correct won't appreciate all those points? But the big takeaway that you were trying to give to people was it's a mindset. It is a mindset. It's mm-hmm. how you think about yourself. It's how you look. I mean, don't you feel better at an appointment when you know you've got your act together? So those quotes more or less align with the point number 14, which was upgrade everything immediately. Mm-hmm. And so what Julia was, and this is another little uh, interesting hack, especially for introverts, is wherever you're going, dress at least a half step, if not a whole step better than how everyone else is going to be dressing. It always is going to give you an edge. But the biggest edge is going to come from your confidence because you look nice. The worst thing you can do is dress so that you fit in. You don't want to fit in. You have to force yourself to be less of a piece of the puzzle and more of the person that designs what the puzzle is going to look like. That's how you have to think of yourself in your mind. Uh, If that makes you a little uncomfortable because that's too maybe outside of your comfort zone, just think of it that you want to be the prettiest puzzle on the bo- on the board, <laughs> the prettiest well, puzzle piece. It is an advantage to have your act together and know that you look good, you sound good, you you know you're cleaned up. 
um, upgrade everything. That could be your glasses, your haircut, your, you know, your clothing, all of those things. Some of you are your cars. So get the, the uh, chapter from the Harris Rules book. Well, upgrade everything, who your environment, upgrade everything, sure. what you read, who you listen to. Everything. And, and do it every 12 months. Yes. Don't do it every, you know, 122 years. <laughs> right. Okay. Point number 15, know that you can make as much money in real estate, if not more than someone who is twice as outgoing. You'll be more studied, more polished, more scripted, more effective, and still remain true to yourself. Be yourself first, be you talking about real estate second. This way you won't be fake and you won't lose your own personality. And I wrote a little caution at the bottom of our outline here. Caution for the more driver and extrovert agents and brokers out there. Realize that a well-studied, well-prepared introvert will silently and successfully be extremely competitive. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're honing your skills as well as utilizing your more outgoing personality. Yeah, the introverted, uh, skilled-based agent who um, understands what their strengths and their weaknesses are, mm -hmm. who's introspective about it, yep. will 99.9% .9 kick the ass of somebody who's basically an extroverted big ego type. Who's counting just on their personality and maybe just doing the lipstick and the Red Bull before the before the appointment and not actually following the seven-step listing. You know, we used to hear this sometimes when we would compete uh, against a couple of agents that were several years ahead, a little bit flashier than us, that had a bit higher average sale price. And do you remember, we would go on appointments where we were competing with them that were in that middle price range, which was still like 500,000 to a million. And the homeowners who were generally just successful, normal people, they would say, and I remember this happened many times, they said, yeah, we were considering them, but you know, they rolled in here with the fur coats and the diamonds and they just seemed too assumptive to us. We felt like we didn't really hit it off. And so we had studied and we were studying all this and learning it and being very careful about our approach and being very uh, respectful of meeting the clients where they were, but their perception of somebody who was maybe more personality-based was they were a little bit well, put off by but that. But it also started at this first contact too. And yes. this is really where, this is where an analytical is going to, you know, kick the ass of an extrovert, right? So it depends. It, it's how you make contact with them originally. It's how fast you follow up with them. It's what their experience is when they're coming in contact with you, with your voicemail, your email, what your texts read like. It's how you look like on social. It's all these things we talk to you guys about in coaching. We, those are called moments of truth. It's how long, it's you know when you get to close to setting the listing appointment. Did you pre-qualify? Did you ask all the right questions? Did you actually follow us an actual proof? These, all these things, what you're doing when you're following, when you're being a professional, that is winning you the listing before you get to the seller's house. Because your competitor isn't calling people back, calls, you know, maybe the voicemail is full, doesn't have a pre-listing pack. Their listing, their pre-listing uh, routine is, all right, I'll see you tomorrow at seven. I mean, they're not, at, there's no pre-listing pack. There's no questions being asked. There's no real system that's in place. The very fact that you are following a system makes it so that you've differentiated yourself in the marketplace. So many of you are living in fear of what makes me different. What happens if a seller asks me why, you know, they should list with, you know, me versus, you know, same more experienced age and all these types of things. You won't get questions like that when you follow our system because you've already removed those questions from the seller's mind because you've already proven how you're different. That's right. Because you can pretty much assume that the other agent's not going to be as professional as you, unless they're, of course, one of our coaching clients. Yes. And I have to say the most commonly, the most common time that I see that is with fairly experienced agents, how they treat their past clients. Mm -hmm. They're very assumptive about it. And maybe they show up late, they reschedule appointments, they didn't do the full pre-qualification script, they, you know, just being kind of sloppy. 
because they, they get to a point where they're experienced enough, they kind of assume it's their business. And they're the ones who come to coaching calls saying, I don't know what happened. This other agent came out of nowhere. I've never really heard of him before. And the, the seller just said they hit it off better. Well, maybe it wasn't a personality thing. Maybe it's because that person was more professional and followed all the steps. What I want you to take away from what Julie just said is that you can win consistently in this business, even if you do not have any direct personal connection to the prospective seller. In other words, a straight up competitive situation, even if the agent you're competing against is a uh, center of influence past client type with that seller. They're, they're friends, they've done deals together, they sit next to, to each other in church. If you follow a system, our system, you will still be very competitive if not win those listings because the market is changing. Because what's gonna happen is the uh, low-skilled, high personality type agent is not gonna be sensitive to the fears in the, that the seller has, not even gonna ask the seller, um, you know, obviously not pre-qualifying. The seller's been watching the news, they've been reading the newspaper, they've been seeing houses sit on the market longer. They're hearing their neighbors worry about this showing and all these types of things. But the other agents just gonna, you know, blow in like a big hurricane, think they've got the listing because they know them forever and they've done three deals with them. And then the seller's gonna say, Well, I've got to, you know, interview Tim and Julie and I'll, you know, after I do that, I'll then, you know, the seller that other agent didn't even know that they were competing. You know, they're always taken back by, Well, what do you mean I'm competing? I just not automatically get the listing. How dare you? How exactly <laughs> these and it's you're my seller. How dare that uh, you know, upstart Tim and Julie come and, you know, yep. come take my seller. These are the types of things that happen in a market like this. And this is the reason why in a market like this, if you're entrepreneurial, if you're going to work your butt off, and if you're going to be skills-based, you can actually start taking market share. This is the type of market that Julie and I started into when we were selling real estate. Something very similar to this. Not like this. This is frankly a lot worse. I mean, the inflation, we've never experienced this before. But it doesn't matter. People will still need to transact. There'll still be deals getting done. It's just they're going to be largely done by different agents. If you're a new agent, this is your market. If you're a grizzled veteran agent, I'm sorry, you got to put your, you know, your gladiator outfit back on yeah. and you got to get your butt back in the arena. You're going to have to stop resting on your laurels. You're going to have to stop doing the silly things that you've been doing, hoping and praying that it's going to someday result in, you know, your brand being so dominant that your, your influence was going to result in the whole world wanting to list their house with you. You're going to have to go back to being skills-based. You're going to have to go back to being focused if you ever have been in the first place on your net income. These are the types of things that I beg all of you not to procrastinate on because if you do six months from now, you're going to be in a very adverse financial situation. There is no reason to believe that anything's going to change in a meaningful way in the near future, call it 12 months. So what you're experiencing now all that's going to happen six months from now, 12 months from now, is people will just be more conditioned to it. They won't be as surprised by double-digit inflation. They won't be as surprised by the types of you know news reports. They'll just be a little, they'll have calluses around it, emotional calluses. But nothing meaningfully is going to happen that's going to all of a sudden make the clouds part, the sunshine again, it's going to be, you know, 2000 and whatever again, and like it was before, right? This is the new market. This is how you have to survive and thrive. Embrace it. Love it for the change that it presents to yourself. Because it is easier, I dare I say, to start your business in a market like this because there's so much, so many people that don't know what to do than it was, say, even two years ago when the, you know, there was FOMO. Buyers were buying no matter what. Sellers were pricing their houses at whatever price there was. Sellers weren't being that selective on who they listed their houses with because they knew the house would sell itself. Mortgages were easy to get because mortgages were easy to get. Interest rates were incredibly low. 
all of those um, you know eased factors have left the building and now we're dealing with a new reality. Embrace the new reality. Don't in your mind, you know, fight it at all. Embrace it, see it for what it is, which is probably one of the biggest opportunities of your lifetime. Now, with that said, every single one of you need to be looking at your expenses. Every single one of you need to be looking at where you're uh, where you're spending money. What is working? What isn't working? If there's not a direct correlation between where you're spending your money and the results that you're getting, you need to stop doing it. Every single one of you needs to get your skills to the next level and 10 levels above that. We strongly encourage you to become a Premier Coaching member. Obviously, text the word Premier to 47372. Remember, message and data rates may apply. One of the other easiest places where you can be, um, I would say, economizing your expenses are the is the brokerage. If you're a broker or if you're a team, this is a great opportunity for you to seriously consider moving over to eXp Realty. Yes, Julie and I are proudly aligned with eXp Realty. We, one of the, I'd say, top five reasons why we aligned with eXp Realty three years ago was because we knew there was going to be a market change happening and we knew eXp Realty was perfectly positioned to adapt because they were already in, uh, they already had the systems in place to deal with a changing market like this. Before you are wishing you would have, please do consider texting me directly at 512-758-0206, Yes, that's my real cell phone number. Do call, don't, I'm sorry, do text, don't call. If you call, I will not answer. Do text, 512-758-0206. Before you are wishing you would have, please consider your brokerage, your team. Even if you're an individual agent, this is the perfect time to join eXp Realty. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. All right, guys, you have a fantastic day. Again, sincere thank you for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. It is our sincere honor and our sincere pleasure. Just remember this, guys. We were all built for this. You were built for this too. Don't be fearful. Don't think that um, interest rates and uh, you know, politics and all this is ultimately going to have an adverse, in other words, a bad effect on your personal life. That's your choice. If you choose to allow those things to have an adverse effect on your business and personal life, it's it's your choice. You can decide that. Or you can say, hey, you know what? Rising interest rates means I need to learn how to do different types of uh, you know deals. Mm-hmm. Rising interest rates means I really need to focus on how to help more sellers. That means I need to learn how to become a listing agent. Have those thoughts go solid in your mind now, not 12 months from now, after you've realized what we were just telling you, what we have been telling you for years is true. Take action now. Hopefully you guys are uh, resonating with this and you're feeling excited because there's, frankly, in the last 15 years, well, I'd say 12 years, there's never been a better time to be in the real estate professional because there's never been a time when real estate professionals have been so in need. You can be in perfect alignment with your what your highest and truest purpose on this planet what it truly is, which is being of service to other people. That is now. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.